grander I think everyone I like coming to live spirit and coffee got my coffee here a salute and cheers to you all um so yesterday so of course Brandon did not remember oh there he is as we talk about Brandon <laughs> uh, let's see if we can get him on here there he is and fight boom you're on it's all good it is all good Yo. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Nightfire. How are you today? I am well. How are you? I'm doing well. So, okay, so you didn't come on yesterday. You forgot. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's the thing. I hold on. I've got I've got a reasoning in my defense. Um, okay, let's for the last three four days, I've been uh, synchronizing. Uh, a client's records from one system to another and I had to write some code to interact with the API and so I because of the nature of the API for this system how my system interacts with it I have to keep it live so I wrote all these scripts so that it's like I'm behind my computer doing the synchronization but it's just a bunch of scripts running and while it's doing its work I can't really do anything so I just kind of sit there and watch my computer. So I woke up yesterday, same time I usually do, around 4 a.m. And what I did was I turned off all my alarms because my computers have just been running 24 hours a day for days on end. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't have to do anything. I'm not going to go downstairs and watch my computer. And I literally lost track of what day it was. So <laughs> I was just like, eh, I'm turn off my alarms. I, I don't have nothing to do today. So, Well, you know what? It sounds so fancy. Reasoning. <laughs> that all sounds very fancy that we're just gonna be like you're good <laughs> you're you're all good <laughs> the aprs and apps and all the things you're good at the end of the day just play. but it sounded very fancy so i don't know about the tech stuff things i don't know tech politics <laughs> Those are the two things I don't really, I am like the late adopter for all technology type person. I don't know what it is. I'm very slow <laughs> to doing. I'm like, yeah, I'm always like, Ooh, I don't know if that's going to fail. Let's see. Let's see all the other people pay high prices for it. And then when it's like cheap, I'll go get it. That's, that's how I do it. <laughs> but I, so you uh, figured out podcasting. That's oh, yeah. most people's wheelhouse. Is it really? Well, okay. Yeah, I did, but it all started with Facebook live and then it just kind of expanded right. from there. But Podbean right. I is- I remember when you were doing the Facebook live and I'm like, Hey, I can <laughs> help you make this into a live broadcast on multiple platforms. I know. And it would be awesome to actually do that and, and even expand more because I eventually had a restream and I had all this stuff going on. I don't really know how it worked, but we were broadcasting on YouTube and all these places. And then I just broke it down, but I have all the equipment and I think it'd be great to just expand. Um, and, you know, because I feel like the audience base is not necessarily where I'm at right now. And so I think tapping into the audience that, you know, because I feel, so here's the deal. Speaking to these people, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm preaching to the choir, but the reality is, is that these individuals that maybe show up 
will then share this information with the people they know and all that, you know. So hopefully it's helpful. And I'd like to at least broadcast to a wider range of individuals if possible. So there's my whole spiel. You're the tech right. guy. Well, uh, something Gingy brought up to me yesterday um, is that like when we have conversations, right? When me, him and I have discussions, he says there's something that either doesn't sit right with him or that he feels there's something wrong with, but he doesn't have the words to put with it. And when we have a discussion, it fleshes those out. It's like, ah, now I have a concrete way of talking about this. So that's like uh -huh. kind of how you can see, mm -hmm. you know, the service that you provide through your, yeah. through your podcast is that yeah. people may be on the same wavelength as you, but they may not have an articulation for something that they may gain some insight just from hearing a discussion around a particular subject. That's true. And you know what? That's how I feel when we talk too, because you have, that's why I had always wanted somebody to come on here with a different perspective. Of course, people aren't as committed. <laughs> Number one, they fall off all the time. It's, you know how that goes. And then two, someone who at least can understand or decipher what the hell I'm saying and put it into different words. Um, so, you know, because sometimes people are like, it's, I don't even know what you're saying half the time. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I talk a different language, I guess. I don't know. Or I use different words to describe things. And in fact, okay, well, here's the thing. So I told you I was talking about non-ordinary states of consciousness. I'm actually, so, you know, I'm in my master's program. Um, the program that I'm in is consciousness and transformative studies. And the um, class that I'm taking is non-ordinary states of consciousness. That is, that is the class. And so last night I was writing my discussion log and the professor's like, you know, write an experience of a non-ordinary state. And it's funny because I had actually had the experience and I actually had talked to you about the experience and you did give me some language that helped me to maybe describe what was going on because I literally felt like I was viewing the world like a program. It was just the weird, I can't even, I just didn't have words and there's still, I just still don't have words to describe the experience. But I remember like, you're like, oh yeah, take it back to like, you know, masters. When we took the masters course, it's like, oh, you were the, you were the content, the context, I mean, and then everything else was the content. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that that's, that those were the words that actually described it where it was like, I described it like programming, like a, I could see the program running. I could see how people were like the program in this, like, it was just weird. I was just sitting there and it was like, I knew the function of everybody in my life and they would just show up, pop in and pop out, pop in and pop out. And I'm like, and I just didn't have the words to describe it. And then coming back into um, like the 3D world, right back into consciousness, then it was like, going through a birth like I think what birth would feel like because it was scary like I wasn't afraid when I was actually feeling like the content context but when I was coming back into like what I would call quote-unquote reality it was actually scary for me so I would imagine that's what it feels like coming into the <laughs> into this world <laughs> maybe that's why babies cry because it, it was a whole experience having to come back into the wake like the world the waking world 
And there was like this fear when I was transitioning back into my ordinary state of consciousness. It was really, it's just, there wasn't words. But then trying to describe the experience, maybe like to you and the way you hear it, right? And then the words that you have to describe it and the language and all that you have to describe it. And it helped me. So I was writing about this last night. And even speaking about it, I think getting better language even around it, right? Being able to really kind of describe it. Um, and then I think that that's helpful because then it gives like this whole new uh, spirits do that. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, it allows for people to kind of understand this new way or perspective of seeing the world. Like we bring back this information that like we don't know what we don't know. And that's kind of what I was talking about yesterday as well. Anyway, go ahead. Tell me what you hear or what you're thinking. <laughs> Well, first of all, you got to lay off that DMT. Uh, <laughs> it's natural. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, but actually, we, uh, Gingy and I did do a discussion on this on Phenomenosophy. I believe it's the episode Beyond the Veil. Um, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. summarize it all as the ecstatic experience. Uh -huh. And it's like, it's like bridging um, what we consider the metaphysical or paranormal with that what you call or what you're calling in the course or what they call in the course, the, the normal states of consciousness. Right. Um, and I believe it's, it's a, it's something that we achieve through multiple means, you know, sometimes we just fall into it, you know, it just yeah. occurs. <laughs> um, other times it can be achieved through breathing exercises, forms of meditation. Um, of course you can uh, elicit it through the use of mm -hmm. DMT, ayahuasca, uh, LSD, uh, mushrooms, like th these are all things that elicit the ecstatic experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the ecstatic experience, you're, you're definitely not in that quote unquote ordinary consciousness. You, you have an expanded uh, consciousness, right? So you have an mm -hmm. expanded awareness, expanded consciousness. And in that state, you can just, you can have insights, Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Insights regarding the nature of reality, or the nature of the universe, the nature of your own being. Um, so it's it's a useful place to be. Um, and I typically when I just talk about these things, the there are philosophies that talk about states like this, like in Buddhism, they have the concept of nirvana mm -hmm. and many Buddhists see it as like, oh, that's where you want to be. And I'm like, well, not if you're in this world. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because if you're in that state, you're, you, you really aren't in the game anymore. Yeah. Um, oh, and, yes, that's and, true. <laughs> and, and again, that may sound uh, appealing to some, you know, like, oh yeah, I want to get out of the game. Um, but you, you know, you're here playing a game and let's, you know, if you look at what is described as, you know, the state of nirvana or the ecstatic experience from any means, you're in a state where the lower level interactions and exchanges um, make little to no sense or take on a significance that can't be articulated to someone in an ordinary consciousness. Like typically when people have these types of experiences, they have exactly what you described is like, I can't even explain this. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't have the words. words. 
yeah yeah i don't have the words to convey the experience you know and so <clears throat> making those uh pilgrimages to those states of consciousness every once in a while i think are useful and powerful but you can't really live in that state of consciousness not in the not in this world you know that may be the state of consciousness for you know other levels of existence or being but it's not conducive to you know you got to pay your bills you got to eat you got to eat you got to you got to have shelter <laughs> you know you got to do all these things and and it's important you know to perpet you know to perpetuate the species and things like that so it's it becomes like uh i, I think it's a place like where the you know if you look at ancient culture and shaman uh, shamanistic uh, cultures. This is the shaman's role for yep. the tribe is to go into these states and yep. to bring back wisdom. And then he's able to convey that wisdom to the people in the tribe, right? And so he's looked at as a wise man. He's looked at as a healer. Um, you know, he talks to plants and things like that. And in his discussions with plants, he learns about the plants. He get he can gain insight in this non-ordinary consciousness about the plants in the forest, right? So yeah. it's a it's useful. And in our ancient cultures all around the world, we saw it as necessary. We needed at least one person going there on a regular basis, you know. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And that so and it's funny because I did talk about that um, yesterday. I did talk about shamans as well. And, and, you know, how they use, utilize this and we don't now. And I absolutely agree that we can't stay there. And coming back was actually painful. It was it really strange. And I didn't realize that it was, I felt like it was a death, maybe like a rebirth into a new, so expanded consciousness, right? I think because I came back with information. But what I notice when I go into those states is that I bring back symbols, so there's not really words, but symbols and symbols are kind of the way that I communicate what happened to me. And then, so I think that that's the way kind of like, you know, we would say like the fractals and the patterning and all that kind of stuff. So I bring back that information, um, but I don't necessarily have the words to describe, you know, what happened. Um, and so I can use like, I can pull from different like words and like I would say a computer program, right? I was watching a program happen while I just sat there and it was like, I understood the function of individuals, like that's relatable. Or if we did the content and context, that makes sense. That actually makes a lot more sense because it was like just pouring out of me, right? It was like, but I knew that I couldn't stay there and how I got there, I have no idea. There, I wasn't, I, it's not like I was taking, I didn't take anything. It was just, it was a weird time. I think it was during COVID um, and I think that I was just um, around individuals who were, we were talking a lot about spirituality, spiritual alchemy. And then I just think I slowly started to transition into it and it was just the strangest thing. But coming back, um, it's almost like I had to find my way through a maze back to reality. That's how I felt. I mean, that's probably the best way to describe it. And it was like all the stuff that I understood, like breathing in my heart. And I was like, you know, the transmutation centers in the heart, like bring myself back to the heart because I was like panicking coming back. It was a weird 
transition back into reality. And and then I didn't realize so that until I was dragged. <laughs> I was what? You were dragged, kicking and screaming. No. Yeah. I yeah. In a way, I was. I was like, but I didn't know how to transition back. I mean, it was pretty intense. And it was intense, even more intense, because it's not like I was on some kind of like, you know, I was taking something. I didn't have to take anything to get there. It was the first time ever that I had experienced anything like this ever in my life. Um, and then there was a time where I was feeling like almost like the matrix, like, I was laying there and I felt myself as another creature, another being. And it almost was like I was going to get pulled into that and pulled away from here. That too was kind of scary. Now, I don't even know how to describe that, you know, experience. Right. And that's and that's something that you must be mindful of. That's why it's like I come I often will tell people like, look, it's not for everyone. You must <laughs> definitely be strong minded and strong willed because there is that unseen world, whether we reference it as metaphysical, whether we reference it as paranormal, but you can open yourself up to the influence of disembodied beings and things of that nature by going into these states. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're not of the right constitution, so to speak, it mm -hmm. may not be a good idea to explore these states of consciousness because you open yourself up. And in fact, um, a lot of people report this type of experience or phenomenon where it's like they, you know, had an ayahuasca experience or something of that nature. And now they have this presence, right, mm -hmm. that seems to be with them, that seems to be separate from them. And these this presence can have influence, right? It can mm -hmm. influence your thoughts. It can influence your actions. Um, if you had... Uh, the eyes to see you may see that there's actually these beings all around us and they're constantly whispering in the ears of the people around you influencing them um and mm -hmm. it's so it's something to be it's something to be mindful of that it's absolutely uh, i wasn't even yeah. trying to do it <laughs> it's not like i went out there and said hey let's go have a whole journey it was just a weird time for me and in fact, right. Well, emotional states can elicit it as well. It doesn't uh -huh. take a substance. Yes. An emotional That's state true. can elicit that kind of an experience. Yes, and it was. And at that time, and and I, you know, I haven't even talked about it, right? I'm just being very like open right now about everything because I, I typically don't go into all this, but I think it's important. It, it literally was there was an exorcism that did happen, and that I think part was part of it as well where it was a release of this energy from my sister who she felt she was like possessed by this thing her whole entire life. Right. And, um, or this energy. And I think that it was really strange because it was like, God, I don't know, Brandon, it's, it was such a weird experience. Like I could see these time loops happening as well, where I felt trapped in time and, and, it was almost like deja vu, right? It just kept like happening. Like for instance, I'll just give you an example. Um, and this happened, um, you know, I was downstairs. My sister was super sick. She was throwing up. I mean, it was awful. She couldn't stop throwing up. And I thought she was going to die. I think she looked like she was like close to death. Um, and so 
my mom would go upstairs. She'd come back down. She'd go to the freezer. She'd open the door. She'd put ice in the cup. The ice would drop. She would pick it up, put it in the sink. And that like kept happening over and over and over. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like stuck in this time loop. It was, I swear that entire time was just such a strange occurrence. And I was like, how do I, I need to get out of this time trap. Like I need to leave. I need to literally get out of this house and go somewhere else because I'm stuck in this. And it was just the same thing. She would go up the stairs, come down, go get ice, drop the ice. And it just kept happening over and over and over. And I was like, what the hell am I experiencing right now? So it was just perfect. That's actually a perfect uh, representation Uh of the duality. Uh, It's really a microcosmic representation of the duality of the cyclical infinite Uh system of experience Uh and consciousness and the linear experience of consciousness. So it's, it's something that is always present. There's no getting out. You're kind of, you're in both. Right. Uh-huh. So, for instance, in your normal, we'll call it waking consciousness, mm-hmm. you're on your linear. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's beginning and end. Um, things move in a line or I should mm-hmm. say time moves in one direction. Right. Um, yeah. But in the cyclical, you know, because, again, it, it, everything is uh, polarized. Right. So the polarity of linear existence is is cyclical right it's mm-hmm. it's an infinite loop and so you're used to that in what we call the the non-waking consciousness right the dream state right um if you notice i i don't know if you're if you've done uh, um lucid dreaming right where you're uh-huh. fully aware yeah. that you're in a in the dream state right well yes. it, you'll notice in that world you have mm-hmm. the capacity to just be anywhere by willing it, right? Yeah. And so this is a different type of universe, we'll say. The the laws of the linear existence that we have in our waking consciousness don't apply, mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. But that's but you see that's the duality. You're living in both worlds. You yeah. you, sp- you spend your sleeping consciousness in one world and you spend your waking consciousness in another and it's it's so you don't lose your sea legs so to speak because they're you your existence is infinite, right? If you're energetic, if you have a soul, if you have a spirit, it is by the nature of energy cannot be created or destroyed. It is an infinite thing. It goes on and on and on. And so understanding both the linear and the cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. The finite and Mm -hmm. the infinite. Mm -hmm. These are Mm -hmm. things that are pull. These are polarizations of not only consciousness, but of being. And so in understanding those and experiencing those, you know, you develop some wisdom around it. So it's interesting that it's really what what it was was an unfamiliarity that in waking consciousness you don't usually experience things cyclically you know but mm-hmm. it's important to recognize that it's happening all around you all the time i think a mm-hmm. great metaphor for it um was that movie oh, i'm gonna forget the name the one with uh nines uh, no no no, no. <laughs> the one with uh 
uh, oh. Halle Berry and Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Um, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay, Cloud so, what, and what I mean, that's a good metaphor, because if you, if you watch the movie, like, especially if you take kind of like the full spectrum view, you know, the 30,000 foot view, what's happening, right, and Cloud Atlas is a is a composition, right? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a song, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing is all these different cycles that are lining up and crescendoing together, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, again, it's kind of telling a linear story, but it's also at the same time because it's moving between different cycles, but it's showing how all the different cycles line up together. Like you watch how it, rather than seeing it as like this linear thing of like, oh, past lives, present life, future life kind of thing, rather than seeing it linearly, you're seeing that all these things are occurring together. And when they all crescendo, they all crescendo together, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in, okay. in having a, a way of, in perceiving things that way, you can see like the cycles of like, let's say the, the broader cycles of what we're experiencing as a civilization, as a society, you're seeing that the, these things, you know, they always say that if you don't learn history, you're, you're bound to repeat it, right? Well, mm -hmm. it's because we, we move in these cycles and rather than it necessarily being linear, there is the linear aspect and we can perceive it linearly, but it can also be seen as moving through cycles together simultaneously at the same time. So just like we saw the collapse of civilizations in the past and what led up to it and what was happening in society and what was happening in culture and where, how were people thinking and how, how were people acting and how that's repeating, right? So it's like these cycles are moving together. We're repeating it and it's cyclical, although we can step out of it and see it as something linear so it's it's important to be able to grasp it in in both senses and it's not that one is right and the other is wrong or one is true and the other is false they they go together the linear yeah. experience with the cyclical experience they go together they're not something you can separate from each other yeah i okay so in that's kind of see that's why I like using or getting other perspectives because that kind of makes sense it's like almost like maybe or perhaps whatever like you said the crescendo maybe this was happening in some other dimension time space in my other existence as another human being or whatever the heck it is my energy is expanding out and however all coming to a head at the same time and who knows maybe at that particular moment in time it was the same thing going on like the same thing was happening but it was different but the same and it felt like the right. same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I could see it from that perspective because uh, I was like, I'm in this time loop that I'm just like trapped in this time loop that continued. It was just a continued thing. And I was like, oh my God, like, how do I get out of this weird like loop that I'm in? Um, and it was interesting. And you're right. Cause I mean, patterns do sort of kind of play out and, and, over and over and over again we see it right it's just a different perspective on the pattern or whatever but it was just a trip i mean that whole experience during that whole time and it was during covid 
I felt like I was, I felt like I was on, honestly, like I was on shrooms or I was like, somebody must have spiked my punch. What was going on? Because it wasn't like I was, and it was emotional state. I think it, I think you hit it right there. I think it was my emotions that was actually eliciting that or non-ordinary states of consciousness or the ecstatic, I think is what you called it. Because, um, because I didn't, I couldn't point to what it was that was actually causing this to happen. And, um, and then out of that, what I brought back was a lot of anxiety afterwards because everything was changing. And since then I have literally felt like I went through a death and a rebirth where I'm the same, but different. Like I'm not the same me. Like I had, I, um, I learned from that experience and I was able to actually get a little bit closer to my, what I call my divine birthright, doing the things that I love getting, you know, weeding out the stuff that I know is, toxic and and not necessarily driving me in the direction that I need to go and so it's been it was pretty good but it was very painful to go through it was not fun um you know it was part of it was kind of scary um there was a lot of unknown and you know and then also feeling like I was going to get trapped like you said I didn't want to be trapped like I am fine being here I didn't want to be trapped in this space that I didn't I mean, I'm human right now. Like, yeah, I'll wait for that to happen when I transition into my next, you know, state of being or whatever. But at that moment, I was like, what do I do? How do I, how do I navigate this? Um, but courage, I was brave. You know, I'm willing to go through the fire if I have to. (laughs) And I did, but I'm not going to say that I wasn't afraid because I was totally in a state of like, what the hell is this? crazy wild. And, um, and so, and I think everybody kind of felt it too. Um, and everybody was kind of in that state that was around me as well, but it did change the, the entire dynamics of my family. And now we're operating completely different. So, you know, pretty intense. It was pretty intense. Um, but thank you for like giving me that, that understanding because yeah, with, with cloud atlas i do see that like spiral effect and what i call the kind of the language i use and i kind of, i don't know how you think about it but i always feel like this waking world is more like what we what we would call classical physics and then like i always think the dream world's like quantum physics right where there's no laws it's kind of like you don't know what the hell's going on you're everywhere nowhere and everything and nothing all at the same time um in your dreams um so tell me what you think about that. Like, can physics maybe give language to the experience? Um, in, in a way. And, and I mean, keep in mind that quantum physics is actually a system of laws and rules as well. Um, so I don't know if necessarily, well, I think the way we have to look at science in general, and uh-huh. I, I mentioned this a little bit in one of our previous calls, um, that science is a tool that can Uh get us closer to the truth, right? So it's, you know, a true scientist realizes and understands that nothing about science is true, that you're constantly evolving and moving towards truth. And so that it's definitely, it's, you know, definitely got a language, you know, and you Mm -hmm. can talk about strings and things like that and dimensions and, and multiverse. And like, these are now all concepts that are, uh, you know, starting to show up 
in the mm -hmm. science in various scientific conversations, at least in the theoretical sciences. Right. Sure. Um, I'd say that there's that there's a benefit to to speaking it speaking about it or having a conversation about it in those terms, but there's also a benefit to having a discussion around the the phenomenon itself and the experience, you know, uh, without the need to apply scientific mm -hmm. uh, theories, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's 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 I'd say it's valuable in both ways that you yes, you can um, use try to use science. Um, here's what's interesting to me. Uh, and I, I plan on doing a podcast on this and actually I might even write a book on this, but it's the you know, the what I call the the paranormal phenomenon is the missing link. Mm -hmm. And I see that as a, and what I mean by that is that it's like a missing link in connecting and bringing together what, uh, science and religion and various mm -hmm. philosophies mm -hmm. um, because the, the metaphysical, which manifests as paranormal phenomenon for many people, like the people have these experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And whether it be, you know, uh, ghosts or, uh, or, or uh, UFOs or whatever it is, like these, yeah. or Bigfoot, you know, <laughs> whatever yeah. you come across, right? These can all be considered paranormal phenomena. And they all kind of have these hallmarks, which distinguish them um, for the, as far as the awareness and the consciousness of the person experiencing the phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And if you... Rather than see our current worldview, I'm not going to say our, many scientists' worldview is one of a materialistic, mechanistic mm -hmm. universe, mm -hmm. right? So they don't, they, they can't explain consciousness other than their, the way they want to explain it because yeah. they see man as a machine, they see right. the universe as a machine. So they want to explain it as, oh, chemical reactions in the brain. Right. Um, and that that's hardly a, 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 a an adequate explanation, right? <laughs> and and so, but the and so what they do is they completely dismiss any and all paranormal phenomena. And again, not all, because there are some good scientists out there like Rupert Sheldrake who that's all they look at is paranormal phenomenon, and they apply the scientific method to it. You know, yeah. so they're looking at. ESP and and uh, telekinetics and things like that, and they're showing that there is this scientific basis to it, and it's not even exclusively a human phenomenon. You know, there's right. the consciousness of dogs is beyond our understanding. You know, yeah. how is it a dog knows when you're heading home and you're you know 50 miles away, and all right. of a sudden your dog is getting all excited because he knows you're coming home. You know, that right. that can't be explained through physics. You right, know, right, so right. that's a paranormal phenomenon at, at this point, right? So it's when when religion and science recognize that, okay, yes, there are these experiences and they are valid experiences, you know, not to necessarily say how people interpret the experiences are factual or truthful. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to we just have to recognize that th it's yeah. happening. Right. Yeah. Happening. And uh -huh. then that can kind of be the point because even religion rejects much of the paranormal experience. Yeah. 
you know, if they, if they can't fit it into the context of their uh-huh. belief system, they just reject it. Same with science. Science has their belief system. And if they can't fit it into the context of their belief system, they reject it. So you have, and, and again, I, I, I told you on the previous call that I see bo- both science and religion as absolute necessities for human development. They're both tools that get, that move us towards the truth, right? They yeah. get us closer to the truth. And, and that, the, why I call the paranormal the missing link is because it's this thing that's rejected by both, but really is a manifestation of both, meaning they both have ways of connecting to it. They both have ways of explaining it, but it's taken into account the <laughs> they world. Deny it? <laughs> What's that? I said, but they deny it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's funny because that's why I said, you know, one of uh, what I consider a great scientist who actually does look at the paranormal is Rupert Sheldrake. And what's interesting about Rupert Sheldrake is he's not stuck in the mechanistic, materialistic worldview that many uh-huh. scientists are. Yeah. He's very mm-hmm. spiritual. He's a very spiritual scientist. Mm-hmm. See, he's bridging the divide there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The paranormal uh-huh. is something he's always willing to look at. And yeah. so the, it, it's this bridge that can really get us to a place of a, a much deeper understanding of the nature of reality and consciousness. And people like him are, are moving us there. And if we start to recognize the value of all of, mm-hmm. of spiritual philosophies, of science, and of the paranormal phenomenon and experience of the individual, um, and sometimes groups, you know, like the, the Fatima uh, mm-hmm. situation yeah. where yeah. you literally had hundreds of people experiencing a paranormal phenomenon, something that can't be explained by science. Science will just say, oh, mass hallucination. Explain <laughs> to me in detail, because you can't just write it off as mass hallucination. Explain to me in detail how hundreds of people see a woman floating in the sky or, or watch the sun get blacked out or whatever. And it wasn't, you know, uh, you, you have to go beyond that because yeah. th- that doesn't explain it. You're just, you're just labeling it, but it doesn't truly explain how a multitude of people can have an experience of something that your science currently can't explain. And see, yeah. that's the many scientists just, they want to believe because they're not real scientists. They want to believe that we've covered all the bases. Yep, I agree. We can explain everything with with our current theories, with our current uh, laws. We can explain it all, and they really can't. I mean, it's no. we're we're still like babies, you know. When I... it comes to this idea. <laughs> we totally are like babies, and you know, my program, you know, it talks a lot about that. Like, how do we bridge the two? Because where I'm headed. Um, it's parapsychology, right? Like that's where it comes from and uh, transformation and all that stuff. So we do go into all of those um, and we call alter states of consciousness. They're trying to give name to them, but you know, um, a lot of it is how do we bridge the gap between the two, but science just doesn't like, honestly. Um, and what I've heard by professors too is like, well, you don't necessarily want to go get a PhD in parapsychology because you know, they're like, it really isn't seen as a science, you know what I mean? Or it's made fun of, or it's laughed at, or, you know, they don't take it seriously. Um, they don't want to look at it. 
Um, scientists right. want to have, like you said, that mechanistic worldview. But here's the deal, and, and I think it's pretty cool because, as you know, like we're transitioning from paradigms, right, from one to another to the other. And um, I think that, so we have the, obviously, where it's the holistic kind of approach, the integration, Ken Wilbur's, all that stuff that he's done. Um, but then we also have like living systems. And I don't know, there's a movie. I don't know if you've seen it. I think you would love it. And I think it's something that you would um, kind of like. It's a woman who takes this man through the different paradigms, like modern, postmodern. She talks about the mechanistic. Then she talks about the integral. Then she talks about like living systems and how living systems are kind of where we're headed or where I feel um, has the most potential to to maybe hold the context for that dialogue to happen, like the paranormal and the religion and the science coming together and having the dialogue and transitioning between the two, because it's really focused on natural law, like things that we can't explain. Like I always tell people like, this is how I explain it. I'm like, first of all, because you know, how, who's making my heart beat? Like I'm not making it beat. You can say it's the system, but I didn't create the heart and I didn't create my body. Like it just happened. <laughs> And all the cells in my body that are doing all the things that they're doing, I'm not making that happen. So what's holding it together and making it happen? I could just be mush, right? But I'm not. I have a skeleton. Now, how did that skeleton happen? So it's like, I don't think people, I don't know if they're not thinking that deep. I don't know if they're not allowing their brain to just evolve in that way or what it is. But it's like, I'm not making my heart beat. Like, what's doing that? What's holding it together? I mean, my heart is pumping all the time. I just, if I had to do it for myself, I'd be dead, right? <laughs> I, I'd forget to pump my heart and I'd be dead, but it's just naturally occurring. Um, have you heard of living systems? I don't know if, if that's a-, a well, well, let me, well, I mean, I understand the, the concept, um, but let me address the, I don't beat my heart. Um, you do. You just don't have to do it with conscious, focused attention. Yeah, and see, that's that's, right. <clears throat> that's different. That's different states of consciousness, right? Right. Um, yeah. For instance, the like the centipede, you know, that's moving, mm -hmm. or the millipede that's moving hundreds of legs uh, simultaneously, right? Uh -huh. um, if you ask the centipede, well, how do you do that, right? And he's like, well, I just do it. Just like if I ask you, well, how do you open <laughs> and close your hand? You know, you don't. Like you may be able to give me some physiological explanation about nerve impulses from the intent originating in the brain, moving down <laughs> the arm and, you know, you know, uh, contracting certain, these certain muscles and, you know, whatever. But the reality is you just open and close it. You don't have to think yeah. about it. You don't have to no. put conscious focused attention in how you do it. And even right. the Hindus have within their belief system there, you know, they have a uh, allegory of some kind where uh, someone asks, probably the Brahman, it may be Shiva or Vishnu, I don't know. Um, but it's, you know, well, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you maintain the universe? Like, how are you doing all of this all at once? Right? Yeah. How are you, you know, uh, moving the stars and turning the galaxies and, you know, how is the, you know, and creating life and how is this all happening? Well, how do you do this? And his answer is, I just do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
it's again, it's, it's not something I have to think about. It's part of my being. So just yeah, like your heart beating isn't yeah. something you have to think about and you have to give yeah. conscious attention to. It's part of your being. Um, yeah. And I would even say that you, the making of your body, like the way I see it, this is my way of looking at things, is that your DNA, which is the you know foundation of your body um, mm-hmm. or of your entire physical being, is a product of you, not the other way around. Meaning mm-hmm. the DNA is a manifestation of your true self, of your true authentic being, right? Mm-hmm. And so the DNA is, is, a, is a projection of your consciousness and it becomes the physical body, not mm-hmm. you have this DNA and it makes you who you are. No, you are who you are and you made your DNA <laughs> the way that it is because of who uh-huh. you are. Oh, that makes sense. I kind of like that, actually. You know what it reminded me of when you said it or the vision that came to me is kind of like when you hold a stone and then the light like hits it. Right. And then the rainbow comes out. It's like and I you know, it's funny because I have models like this where and I was reading something that I wrote the other day about light and obstruction and the light obstruction. And, you know, it perhaps being like the stone and then the light gets through it and then we project out into this world, you know, who we be or whatever. That's just kind of what I got. Almost like a, almost like this, like a film projector. That's kind of like the visual I got. You know, it's like the DNA would be like the real, like it's already there. The image is already there. And then we put light in it through the projector. And then the image is like there on the wall or something. I don't know. That's the image I got when you said that. It just went boom like that. So, okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's, <laughs> I didn't have anything specific. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know me, I'm just like, oh, I go off. But that is the image I got. And I'm like, oh, and if you look at, if you kind of look at DNA, it kind of looks like a film projector in a way, the way it's kind of like, like the film. Hmm. Well, it I definitely kinda... takes on uh, that infinite, uh-huh. like, some of the infinite principles, right? So there's a uh-huh. duality, right? There's two strands and they spiral. You yeah. Know? So there, there uh-huh. is definitely some, uh, some universal principles at work there, you know, that yeah. it's, it's definitely trying to show us something. Um, and then again, when you take into consideration like the telluric lines and things like that, we know that there's this spiraling of energy that occurs mm-hmm. when you have energy that, that that engages or exchanges or interacts with other energy right so lines mm-hmm. of force if they cross you you have a spiraling of energy um and we we experience in the macrocosm and in the microcosm this constant motion of mm-hmm. moving in a circle or moving in spirals and things like that so there's definitely something universal being portrayed there um, and then, of course, the what I, the way I see your the light kind of conversation is, and again, this would go to my own theories and philosophies around sure. <laughs> gravity and light and things like that. Like my philosophy on gravity is mm-hmm. that it's a direct reciprocal of light, and that light isn't constant. Like we believe the speed of light to be constant. It is either accelerating or decelerating, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as light decelerates towards the center of a light field, and a light field could be a planet, it could be an atom, the deceleration of that light creates the phenomenon we know as matter, 
right? Mm -hmm. So it gives mm -hmm. physical properties to the universe mm -hmm. when light decelerates. Mm -hmm. And in mm -hmm. fact, I think at some point, science will realize that what we call electrons and protons and neutrons and things of that nature are really just photons, you know, what we call photons at mm -hmm. different spin ratios, different decelerated rates from their accelerated rate that we see as, as, as visible light or mm -hmm. invisible light. So it's this well, that relationship that gravity as, as light is decelerating, mm -hmm. it's it, the, we know that gravity accelerates, right? It gets to a higher rate of acceleration, the closer you get to the center of the light field. So for instance, the, the gravitational acceleration rate in Death Valley is higher than the gravitational acceleration rate on the top of Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. And and so again, this is light decelerating as it mm -hmm. goes towards the center of the planet, gravity accelerates. So I believe they're they're actually mm -hmm. again polarities. They're they're a mm -hmm. phenomenon that goes together. You don't have light without gravity and gravity without light. And you know that actually makes sense with the time thing as well, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So time, because time is, time is a big thing, right? So time slows as gravity accelerates. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I have, because you know me, I have my theories too, and light and all this stuff. And there was, um, and I'm wondering how that would fit into, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Walter Russell. He was, oh, yeah. uh, okay. Well, I love him and I have his books and stuff. And he talks, you know, he talks about light and it's kind of funny because that's his whole thing is light. And he said they, oh, they got it wrong. You know, he just talks about um, physicists and he was trying to like challenge them, even though he wasn't. Um, but I literally have his books and I started reading and he sees things the way I do. Like I feel when it comes to light and all that stuff, like I kind of, I, I can get on board with what he's doing more than anybody else when it comes to light because time right and matter like together like i'm like no i don't think they have it right and i think that maybe i'm gonna have to look at the models that i have maybe i'll pass them through you then you could just look at them and tell me what you think because i'm like something's not right with the way that they're looking at it as well and he has the i don't know if you have his books but he has these charts and models that I've had like insight or foresight, you know, like I get sacred geometry kind of comes to me, like the way things and patterns work and stuff like that. And kind of the way he has it laid out is the way that I actually saw it. And I was like, oh, I think this guy's a little closer to what I think is correct than, you know, what science is currently doing or the worldview that they have right now or how they're trying to talk about light and, and time and matter and stuff. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I would say that um, uh, I, I no longer have any books by Walter Russell. That's something I studied about 25 years ago, uh -huh. but it's definitely contributed to my philosophy. Uh -huh. Just same as like yeah. his uh -huh. work, the work of like Bruce Cathy. Um, uh -huh. These are things that I was studying, you know, approximately 25 years ago that uh -huh. have contributed to my worldview and contributed uh -huh. to the way I perceive uh -huh. um, the nature of reality to be uh -huh. right. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. it's and I and I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable to to look at as many sources of information as you can, and then just be discerning with uh -huh. the information, and mm -hmm. and there and then of course having the courage to develop your own mm -hmm. philosophy. 
You know, mm -hmm. I think one of the most detrimental things to, if not to humanity, due to critical thinking, is the, our our need to adopt uh -huh. a an acceptable worldview, belief system, or whatever else. <laughs> um, I think that's hindering us more than anything. Absolutely. If everyone kind of took it upon themselves to come up with their own philosophies, and then we could get together and have discussions, um, <laughs> our advancement as a species would be, you know, off the charts because we'd be, we'd be constantly tickling new ideas and, and, and coming forward and and moving forward and 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 expanding consciousness as opposed to like locking ourselves into a way of being yeah. um, that's why as a philosopher i will i most likely will never publish my philosophy because then i'm stuck with it <laughs> like, like then i gotta then i'm stuck with it and i gotta defend it now you're um, that guy <laughs> yeah i don't want to be that guy um and so because i look at all the philosophers like yeah you know, like whether it's Socrates or Plato or Heidegger or anyone yeah. else, it's like they come, they publish their philosophy and it's like, okay, well now you gotta, now you gotta stand behind it. Now you gotta defend it. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it, it may not be that great a philosophy. There may be problems <laughs> with it, but it's harder to see it once you put it out there. And because our tendency is to identify uh -huh. as our ideas, as our work. And it's like, you've solidified an identity when you've published something like this. Yeah, um, it's true. So that, yeah, so <laughs> an attack on it, you feel like is an attack on you, you know, <laughs> you identify as it. So it's like, yeah, you're gonna defend it. Um, and, you, and there may be, it, you'll be much more open to shifting and changing and altering a philosophy mm -hmm. if, you don't identify with it. It, 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 for one, if it doesn't have a rigid structure and you don't identify with that rigid structure, right? So my philosophy is something uh -huh. that's very dynamic. It's like yeah. water. <laughs> it's moving, yeah, yeah, yeah. moving and changing yeah. and evolving uh -huh. in time. Uh-huh, uh-huh, absolutely. Cause you get new information. Like we can't hold the ultimate truth. So you know what though? I That's really cool because um, I do have my philosophy and I won't publish it. It's kind of like I have a black book that I keep where I keep kind of my notes, my stuff. And I kind of like trying to understand that. And you said it perfectly. And this is, I've said this on my podcast millions of times, like getting people to the point where we can have these type of discussions, right? And it was hard because I'm like, I don't want to just be talking. Like it's nice to have another person come in and talk about stuff and then also it's like oh yeah okay i didn't think about it that way or oh now that adds a little bit more to my philosophy or to my understanding of the world and then i can just add it in right but um getting people to that point you know that and that's what's needed i think right now that's what i've been telling people like this is what's needed these dialogues are what's needed because there's not really a narrative right now and they're just trying to recirculate old narratives like for control. But how do we get people to start thinking, you know, this way and having these conversations and these dialogues, you know, it'd be nice to have a think tank of people that can actually, you know, have these dialogues. And and it's not a, hey, I have the right answer. It's more of a, oh, I didn't think of it from that perspective. That's interesting. How can that add to to value to what I'm up to? And, but, you know, I don't know, you know, are we there? Do we have people who are, 
can, you know, dialogue this way or, um, you know, what, what do you think it's going to take? Cause I feel like that's where I want to be. Those are the type of people that I want to surround myself with are people that are able to dialogue in this way so that we can start to say, Hey, you know, things are different. Things are shifting. Things are changing. You know, maybe new language is needing to be created or maybe new models and structures um, are needing to be designed and looked at and deconstructed and reconstructed. Um, you know, so I don't know. Tell me what you think about that. Like, how do we get people to start perhaps thinking this way or moving in this direction? Well, first of all, it's you have to take into consideration where we're at, right, as as a culture. Um, and I spoke about the dark night of the soul of a culture, right, of a society. And I and I think that that's a necessary step because you get wrapped up in the mythology of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. This image that you procure and curate and have bought into yourself mm-hmm. um, is the biggest obstacle. You know, you could create you know, schools and academies and TV shows and everything else to try to convey what you're talking about, but it'll have little to no impact because people are trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the the delving into the abyss of, the, uh-huh. of that dark night of the soul as a society will be an opportunity to realign with, with principles, to realign with our true nature, right? Our authentic selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I think you, it's something like that will need to occur because mm-hmm. then when you emerge as a society, there is a freshness of view. There mm-hmm. is a, a willingness to search and to seek and to understand. Um, right now, you just have people, for the most part, locked in to a state of consciousness uh, and there's not yeah. much hope of getting them out. I know. I, 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 I hear you. I mean, that's, and that's a perfect way to say it. You know, I'm sure I've said it a million times in different ways, but it's, it, I say it's a trap narrative, but it, like you said, it's consciousness. I kind of say it's like Plato's cave. You know what I mean? It's almost like, it's almost like the smoky mirrors or not. And then I think you're right. I think going into the, the abyss, the black hole, which in tarot, right. You know, that the high priestess is like, you've got to come through me, which is darkness. It's that void. It's not light. People think it's light and it's not. It's the void. It's almost, and I was talking about it. It's almost like you don't know what you don't know. I was talking about that yesterday. Yeah. You didn't come on. And then, um, of course, uh, a lot of the stuff, the material that I learned from you, I always talk about, right? Because it's, it at least gives the language to to help facilitate like a transformation or um, a talk about transformation. So, you know, I think that you don't know what you don't know. I think that is the big place to be where we can't say we hold the truth or we know the truth and, and that this is the only truth we can live because it's, it's obviously it's not, and it's not, it's falling apart bit by bit. And so it's kind of like, well, where do we get this? And I don't even know. It's not, I wouldn't say it's new information, but it's a different way to look at the information a different way to view it, to explore it, to understand it. And, you know, I just, it's really hard because I'm like, come on people. And I try to, you know, I try, maybe it's my language too, in, in terms of like, how do we speak or how do I speak to, you know, the masses, right? 
where it's language that um, at least gets the um, ignite something within their head to be like, oh, let me look at this from a different perspective. It's not always just black and white. There's like this whole other, it's like the paranormal that you were talking about. There's like this in-between space that holds some kind of a, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of, of molding the world and, and, and being able to have your philosophy and understand how the world works within, you know, the, the stuff that you understand. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know, know if that's the, I don't think if that, I don't know if that's the most significant conversations to be having. Uh -huh. um, and, and the reason I say that is that uh -huh. I, I always have to, you know, my question, and I think questioning mm -hmm. everything and questioning everyone is, you know, where you start. Um, mm -hmm. But my question is, well, what's, what's the result? What's the mm -hmm. outcome that you're mm -hmm. out for? Like for mm -hmm. me, a conversation mm -hmm. that I think is worthy and worthwhile in this day and age and in this place mm -hmm. is the conversations of morality because mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. completely decayed and falling apart and it's it is the social fabric upon which civilization is built mm -hmm. and it, there's just a complete lack of it and and a, mm -hmm. and a lack of principles and values um mm -hmm. and there's this rampant false virtue that is in fact, amoral in its in its uh, nature and character. So mm -hmm. I think the conversation of morality and mm -hmm. just questioning, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to uh, uh, lift someone out of their, you know, stuck, ideological, mm -hmm. possessed state of mind, mm -hmm. the best thing is to do is to question things, right? So like, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, sure. people claiming uh, being offended by things, right? Being offended by people's actions, being offended by certain words, being offended by a comedian's act, right? Mm -hmm. What do you mean by offended? Right. Explain that to me. I don't want the definition. I don't want the dictionary definition. I want you to explain to me your experience of being offended at uh -huh. Dave Chappelle's joke. Yeah. Right. Explain to me that experience. Yeah. You know, and yep. then because huh. once someone because a, a lot of times people don't look at or examine their own ideas, mm -hmm. their yep. own yep. cons, they just regurgitate talking <laughs> points, whether yeah. it's the talking <laughs> points of the mainstream narrative or whether it's the talking points of their religion or belief system or their elect group. Right. They they just regurgitate. They don't examine. And. Mm -hmm. Your questioning will mm -hmm. will have that effect. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. now I'm now you're now I I have to question. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. The and then responsibility my for my experience. <laughs> right. You know, and and is... people are just spitting out all these platitudes and things like that. Like uh -huh. you know, people uh -huh. spit out a, like a phrase like, oh, it's win-win. Okay, explain that to me. Explain <laughs> yeah. the win-win here. Right, because yeah. it's like it just gets spit out. It's it has no depth or meaning uh -huh. or yep. substance yep. to it. People just spit yep. out these things, and yeah. it's as a because in reality, being in the question for yourself is a is a powerful mm -hmm. place to be because it's Absolutely. like okay, I have what I think you mean when you say that, right? And see, right. my tendency, like for me, it's a great it's a great tool because my tendency would be to just go off on someone right to just like <laughs> verbally like tear them apart tear their arguments apart 
Um, but that, the, that impulse comes from my presupposition of an understanding of what they're saying, right? And so <laughs> it's, it's like a time to take a deep breath for me, like, oh, explain that to me. You know, because now I could take a deep breath and not be triggered, you know, take off on them verbally. Oh, my God, Brandon, how many times have you wanted to take off on me? (laughs) (laughs) How many times have I? (laughs) Forget about thought about. I've done it. A few, you have a few times, I would say, in the training space, right, where it was true. I didn't know how to describe what I was trying to, or the way I was feeling or experiencing, which I think is is valuable. I think that's a great start. I think you're correct, which I think we do in life coaching, which I still coach people. And, and it is being in a question and it is asking, you know, describe, explain, embody, what is your body feeling? How, where are you feeling it in your body? What does that mean to you? You know, all those big questions, I think you're absolutely correct because as you said, they get to describe it with their own language rather than saying, Hey, let me project this idea onto your, let's talk about this and that. And then, you know, they're just giving all these ideas instead of taking like responsibility or personal responsibility for the experience they're having which I think that's then when the new dialogue actually emerges, right? Is in your own um, understanding of your experience and how it, how you relate to it and also what we take personal, which is big. And for those of you that don't know that are on here, Brandon was my coach and <laughs> I still call him my coach. He still is my coach, which um, let's just say this. He didn't really, at the end of, of his coaching, he didn't really have to ask me any questions because I would just, talk myself in circles until I realized <laughs> he's a really good listener. <laughs> I, my, my running joke with Brandon is I would talk and he would walk away and then he'd come back and I'd still be talking. <laughs> and I'm sure that's my, that might have been the case, which was fine. Um, because like, we do have the answers we do know. It's just, I think, Part of it is like all of these things that society puts on us like shame and, you know, um, not feel like we don't have a voice or getting cut off at the throat. And that was a lot of my problem is that I felt like I was cut off at the throat and then I was afraid to cry. And so the crying really helped me to like overcome that the throat chakra where everything would just get stuck out of fear of being stupid or someone thinking I was stupid, right? Which didn't be daddy issues or whatever, right? We can go into the whole thing, but but really not honoring the value that I bring to the table and are feeling like it wasn't valuable and um or people wouldn't find value in it or they would, you know, whatever it is. And now this is where the transformation comes from and I talk about it um and even in one of my classes I talked about it is I have this, I, I suck at spelling, but for me, so I used to get this like, like anxiety. I was like, please don't make me be a scribe, even as a professional, right? Cause sometimes we'd have these retreats and they'd be like, Natalie, come and write. And I'm like in front of a bunch of professionals and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to know. I don't know how to spell. This is really bad. I would have all this anxiety. And now I just take ownership of it. Like literally I'll get up there and I'll be like, look, I'm not the best speller. You guys are going to have to help me. And then I just laugh and I say, daddy issues. We're not going to talk about it. And then people just laugh, right? And I just own it for what it is. And and then people feel like, and then it's funny because what happens, and I this is what I loved about the transformational work too, is that 
when you're vulnerable and you're authentic, then it opens up the space for others to do it. And literally what will happen when I do that is other people say, I can't spell either. So don't feel bad. We'll help you. And then I have this collective support of individuals who are like, we got you, you know, rather than, than just getting up there and scribbling and then hiding it, you know, and then having people like, be like, what is going on with you? And then me like projecting all this anxiety on other people. So, but I think it's, it's, it is powerful. So I think you're absolutely correct. I think it is a valuable conversation to have with people like, you know, what is your experience? What's coming up? And then, you know, helping people transition into like, just really owning it. And right. two, and it's important to take it, take every, well, take yourself lightly, at least yeah. and, <laughs> exactly. and bring some humor to things um, yeah. because it's, it actually disarms, you know, that, uh -huh. that triggering experience uh -huh. that people have with certain uh -huh. experiences. Um, uh -huh. So for, for instance, uh, I, well, I, I, one of my, uh, a, a saying I'll say that goes along with that is, you know, the angels fly because they take themselves lightly. And um. <laughs> I don't know if you remember there, we were in a, a debrief in a training uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and Gingy had, Gingy had used the word bitch and you <laughs> got offended, right? Right. And, oh my God. Okay. And, tell me. I love to the story. <laughs> okay. You got offended and we're uh -huh. like in a huff, right? And do you remember how I disarmed that situation? You know what? I don't remember, Brandon. So let's see. Cause you're the brain. Tell me what happened. I, I said, I said, I go, yeah, Gingy. I go, bitches hate it when you call them bitches. And then everyone <laughs> laughed, right? So it, it it's, again, remember the whole con meaning is something you project. Meaning is something you bring. Right. Nothing inherently has any meaning. The word right. bitch is just a word. Uh -huh. It's not offensive. You may choose to take offense to it. Right. Right, 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 right. In and of itself, it doesn't have any inherent meaning. We give yeah. it meaning, and you <laughs> yeah. can choose to, you know, be offended by it or whatever. But that's that was my whole point. I was taking it lightly. Right. right? right. I made it a joke. Right. Right. So not only not only did I make the word itself a joke, I made you into the word that <laughs> that that you were offended by. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, I mean, and you know. I don't think negatively of you. You know, I hold you in high regard. You know, I love you. Yeah. So, you so you, so that you can only take that one way, which is like Brandon's fucking around. Right. Yeah. 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 That's true. Like, it's like what the horse is a horse. Like if you're not a horse, it's kind of like the asshole. If you're not an asshole, you're not going to take it. But if you keep hearing it, you got to be like, well, maybe I am, or maybe I'm not, I don't know, but it's true. And I think with, so a big thing that a big takeaway too, and I think this is important, and I think this does help with like the majority of people is the triggers, right? And and understanding and how to debate and how to hear other people's side of the story. And I will tell you this, people were listening to the podcast about, you know, um, the whole abortion, weight, Roe versus Wade and all that. And I literally was just trying to understand politics. Um, and I had put some stuff up. They took offense. They didn't know what I, whatever. But a couple of people, because you got on and you have a different way of looking at that situation, right, than I do. And so, but I'm not going to say, well, I need to argue. I just need to understand somebody who can put it in a way that makes sense to me. 
that's grounded that, you know, because listening to people just follow the masses doesn't make sense. And of course, you, Brandon, you're going to analyze it, pick it apart, tell me why, blah, blah, blah. I already know how you work. So I'm like, okay. And so, <laughs> so, but when you, when you said this is why, and you, you picked it apart, I wasn't mad at you. I wasn't trying to argue. I was like, okay, I get it. And I understand why. And now I can get on board and, and see it from a different perspective. And let me tell you, people were like, thank you for looking. I had some of my viewers thank me for actually hearing it out. You know what I mean? And listening right. to what perhaps an opposition would be like, but I don't need to argue it. I don't need to change your mind. I don't have to change your mind. I understand. It's like I can respect you and honor you for who you are and why you think the way you think. And that's fine. But but so I think that that's it. And it's the triggers that people get. And I notice too when my triggers come up, right? When people are like, they say, I'll say something and then they'll say something back. And then I'm like, well, they're not getting what I'm saying. So how can I be mad at them when I'm not articulating it the way that I mean it? Because the response that I got back was not what I was trying to portray outward. And rather than getting upset with them and firing back, I'm like, okay, let me look at, let me see if I'm articulating it correctly. Maybe I need to change the words or maybe I'm using a word out of context or whatever. Um, and then I can shift it and shape it and say, no, this is actually what I meant without getting triggered by it. But I do get right. triggered. And, and I notice right. those triggers. Yeah, yeah. But, so I think that's but see, there's there's a uh, my experience in that particular subject is different because for me, it's a moral issue. Sure. Right? Got so it. because Absolutely. because there's a morality there, sure. I sure. am of the mindset that like, yeah, I do need to change your mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because sure. it's like I I see it from a moral standpoint. So for me, morality is something to take a position on. Okay? Sure. Remember, Absolutely. remember, I, t I remember I had a whole distinction on taking a position, being a stand, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Absolutely. And taking a position creates conflict in, you know, because if you take a position on something, well, there's a counter position. Well, on moral issues, I am more than willing to take a position on and be in conflict over it. Okay. You know what I mean? I'm That's, willing yeah. to go head to head against someone who is in my assessment immoral. Or taking an immoral position, right? Yes. So that's something that I'd be willing to be in conflict over. Um, so it's for me, it's it's a completely different place because it is tied to morality. Whereas for you, if it's not tied to morality, yeah, you don't have to change anyone's mind on something. But that's again, that's there is this amorphous or vaporous kind of relationship with morality in our society, and it's mm -hmm. it's detrimental. It's destroying mm -hmm. society, and. Yeah. And I, I think if we don't have clear values and principles and a clear morality, then we'll experience what we're experiencing, which is the destruction of civilization. Um, right. So I think it's important. I think it's important to have a morality and I think it's important to, to, to take a position on mm -hmm. moral issues mm -hmm. and, to mm -hmm. be, and to be in conflict with those who are opposed, you know, so again, it, it, to me, it's, it's like that, um, you know, like it, something that's simple for people to take a position on maybe torture, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
it is wrong to torture people, whether they're mm-hmm. guilty of a crime or not, right? Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't torture, right? Like that's a moral issue and I'm willing to take a position on it and argue with someone who thinks, oh no, that's the probably the best way to teach them a lesson mm-hmm. is to torture them, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. So that's something I can, that's a moral issue. So that's a an argument that I'm willing to have. That's a conflict I'm willing to be in. Absolutely. I absolutely agree um, that yes, I will take a stand and I will actually defend what I feel is moral or immoral for sure. Absolutely. Um, do agree with you on that, that point, um, to the moral issue of what's going on currently. That's not, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and take a position right now. Um, (laughs) and I'm not going to argue with you, but in, in the, in the point of doing or arguing or whatever, when you say argument, I think people see it from a different understanding because people tend to think arguments bad you know and i'm just saying that it's constructive i mean at least a well a a well-formed argument is very constructive yes because you're 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 you've got opposing views right Uh and so you bring to the floor opposing views you compare you contrast you criticize like that's an important that's an important feature <laughs> of, of human relationship is the sure. argument. The Absolutely. argument is how we gain wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. argue your position and another mm-hmm. argues their position. And in, and in arguing your position, you defend it, right? You, you ground your assessments mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you may mm-hmm. criticize or pull apart the assessments of another or, or the lack of substance or grounding to their assessments. So that's right. an important, that's an important process. You know, that's I know. how we gauge the merit of an idea. It's how we gauge the merit of, of someone's actions, right? It's why the, what's interesting about morality is that it's completely subjective. It can never be made objective. Trust mm-hmm. me, I tried for years to develop a philosophy around an objective way of determining morality. Can't be done. But we also have to recognize that there is just as much value in the subjective as the objective. And I think that's mm-hmm. why we, we are averse to morality because it's this issue that can't be made objective. You can't put together a formula to determine morality. And so the argument is the way that we, like, I mean, that's what they even call it in court, right? When you're on trial for something, there are arguments mm-hmm. to, you know, mm-hmm. your guilt or innocence to yep. your punishment and everything else where we need to argue because this is a moral issue. Now we're assuming this is a real crime, like you've actually hurt someone or done damage to someone. And so the arguments must be made because it's not formulaic. We can't just apply, you know, this to X and this to Y and get the, well, this is his sentence, you know, like it, yeah. it needs to be an argument there. And the argument's important. And, and this is how all morality is like, we could say in general, it's bad to kill someone. However, if the situation or scenario is that there is an armed person threatening the life of my children, I will gladly blow them away. Right, absolutely. Without any qualms. And to me, that's a moral decision. Like that is within my morality and values. But to just walk up to someone on the street and shoot them in the head, and that is it seems to be the same thing, you know, if analyzed <laughs> purely on the the physical 
uh, experience, right? Like someone shoots another person. Okay. If we, right. if that's, if that's all we have and we try and, and we just have a formula for, Oh, you shot a person, boom, here's the formula. You're going to prison for life, you know? Um, but again, you have to argue, you have to gauge the merit of my actions based on the situation and the scenario. That's why it's this completely subjective thing, but it, but it's a process we must go through and our aversion to argument, our aversion to discernment, our aversion to critical thinking is why we're having this collapse in society is because mm-hmm. we're not willing to gauge the merit, right? Everyone's living into in this relativity that, oh, that's your truth. That's, you think that's right. Oh, okay, then it's right. No, no, <laughs> it's, not, it's not. Relativity and relativeness is not the way you make a moral decision on something, right? We must gauge the merit of our morals, of our values, of our principles, and of the actions or words of others or ideas of others, right? We that's the that's judgment. We must we must engage in judgment so that we can and and again this is purely subjective there is no factual or logical or necessarily reasonable basis to the assessment itself but we use those as processes right we use reason we use logic engaging the merit you know of is this is this good is this bad is this right is this wrong you know, just living in relative, oh, there is no right or wrong, and oh, there is no good or bad. Now, again, there there is some credence to that in that we all have an individual perspective, right? So we all interpret the world through our own worldview, and so we all do interpret things differently. So there is an element of relativity there. However, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage in this process of argument and discernment to uncover the merit and recognize that there is merit, that not all ideas are equally valuable. Yeah, and, but all see, and then, are equally are equal. And this is the hard part because getting people to understand because here's <laughs> they think arguments are let me give you my opinions and let me just not hear the other side or listen to the other side or try to pick apart. So people don't have this process is basically what I'm saying. They don't use this process. And I think that, so then how do you get there, right? If, if nobody's using this process, except maybe I think the courts, right? <laughs> and well, Brandon, even there, even there, yeah, even there it's tenuous because in, in, in reality, a lot of what you see is, is, uh, is procedure. A lot of what, we call law now and justice is a is a procedural uh, unfolding as opposed to actual arguing the morals or merit mm. of someone's actions. Yeah. Um, it that's it, it's kind of gotten away from that. Um, now you may have some, and it'll be more of your old school judges, who that's what they're that's what they're attempting to elicit from the advocates, right? They're trying to get the attorneys like to argue the merit of their position, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or to demonstrate 
the nature of the contractual relationship between the parties, right? And because, you know, the, the nature of the, the true nature of a contract is the actions of the parties. And so a judge is always looking to ferret out the actions as opposed to like, oh, here's the written document. The written document is a memorialization. It's not mm -hmm. the contract. The contract right. is the understanding of the parties and their actions and relations to each other. So that's something that must be assessed, right? So this is, yeah. again, it, it requires judgment. It requires assessment. It, it, it's not something we can apply a formula to. The written document may say, you promise to pay this amount on this date each month. However, for six months, the other party accepted a different amount and now you're trying to enforce something else. You're trying to enforce what's on the paper, but your actions demonstrated that the contract had different terms. You, do, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, absolutely. you can't you can't be purely objective in that scenario and say, oh, well, this is what the paper says. Boom, this is my judgment. That's not how that's not how a judge looks at it. A judge is going, okay, so you paid him this amount. And, and sir, what did you do with the checks? Well, I, I deposited them in my bank account. Okay, acceptance, right? Offer, acceptance. Yep. This went yep. on for how long? Six months. Okay, that's the contract. Yeah. Because that's, that's the, the performance of the parties. That's how they in, interacted with each other. Right. You know, so there, there was offer, acceptance, offer, acceptance, offer, acceptance. So that was the contract. Absolutely. So it's an important, it's an important it's a, aspect for civilization to, I agree. to recognize judgment. So, but yeah, but then how do you get them there? <laughs> That's my question the whole time. Okay. It's all great. Now what? <laughs> do we all massive classes of offer and acceptance and contracts? <laughs> no, um, no. I think it's, I think it's just important. Like I said, to just start questioning and being willing yeah. to argue and take a position. Yeah. Like that's it. Like those simple things right there, like, and define your moral code. Def like, what are your values? Like uh -huh. get clear on that. You yeah. know, like if you don't, if you don't have religion, then you don't have a code of morality. Like at least you could say what you want about religion, but the one thing that it typically has is a moral code yeah, that unites a group of people. That's important to have. Okay, I'm not saying you should join any particular religion, but it's important to have a common moral code. Now, again, the like the genius and the wisdom I see in the Bible is that it is this huge collection of moral tales. It's like, look, the, we can't look at things as absolute, like you know, like in Christianity and Judaism and 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 yeah. and uh, Muslim or Islam, they have the 10 commandments, right? Uh -huh. However, <laughs> those seem like 10 really simple rules, right? Yep. However, you have the you have this entire book dedicated to stories on, well, here's how we handle it here. Here's how we handled it here. Here's how we handled it here. Because <laughs> it's not absolute, it's not objective, it can't be universally applied, it's not formulaic. So it's a it's a recognition of our approach when we choose to have values, when we choose to be moral people, circumstances and conditions are gonna unfold that are going to not only challenge our faith and morality, but they're going to call, call from us, necessitate, demand from us 
attention and judgment, we need to assess this particular situation and how is the best, and see, I'm using all these judgment words, right? These aren't objective words, right? Yeah. Good, bad, best, better, worse. Like These are all judgment words. These are assessments, and we must be willing to argue. We must be willing to assess. We must be willing to criticize because in a, a world of absolute relativeness, you have none of that. You have no morality. You have no moral code. You have no values because nothing means anything. Is that so? Let, let me ask you a question because I, okay, and maybe it's not, maybe it's totally unrelated, but I, this is something I just never understood. I'm sure you kind of might know. Is that kind of like a atheist way of thinking or no? Am I totally off? I, no, an, atheist, an atheist, uh, atheist is just doesn't believe in anything greater. Um, I'd say it's it's it goes hand in hand with the mechanistic materialistic worldview, okay. right? Okay. Um, so typically, and it's funny because Satanists are actually atheists. I don't know if you know this, um, but an atheist <laughs> and a Satanist and a New Ager almost all have the same belief system, and they just don't realize it. Um, okay. They value the individual. That the uh -huh. individual is what they worship, the self, I should say, not because they don't worship an, a particular uh, being or something outside of themselves. They worship the self, right? Okay. And they elevate the self as the highest, as the highest authority, as the highest, uh, uh, because I don't, I, again, they don't believe in God as a concept or idea, uh, and they don't believe in anything greater. So the worship is of the self. This is. Oh, okay. This is so. This is true of basically of most New Age religions or New Age philosophies and of Satanism. And oh. the atheist is basically on the same level, but they just reject doctrine. They reject dogma. They reject the idea of something greater, right? Whereas, like an agnostic would be someone who's like, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> they're they're on the fence, right? It's like, yeah, it seems, it's, this seems like it might be true. Um, so so that there's uh, there's definitely a, and again, this is what you're seeing manifest in our culture, uh -huh. is the worship of the self, right? So there's uh -huh. this extremely high level of narcissism that we haven't seen since the collapse of the Roman Empire. <laughs> okay, so again, if if history is any indication of where we're heading, when you yeah. get extremely narcissistic and self-centered, shit yeah. falls apart. Okay, we've seen it happen before. Right. Um, and that's where we're at. You know, you, I mean, look at who, who we call celebrities and influencers and, and even the, the, the average person, right? It's people don't go around taking pictures of monuments and, and things on their vacations. No, they turn the camera around and take a picture of themselves with the monument, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a very self-centered, narcissistic, self-worship way of approaching the world and in that state there and again this is also this has been contributed to by this relativeness right this uh there is no absolute truth there is no absolute morality those ideas which made it into our civilization our society um in the early 20th century have permeated and perpetuated themselves into all institutions and so because they perpetuated themselves into all institutions it's become part of the mindset of most people They've just adopted it. 
they've taken it on. And when I say all institutions, I mean all. Like even in religion, you have this relativeness that permeates a lot of the religions <clears throat> where they don't even have a, a, a connection to any kind of absolute morality or absolute truth as well. And so there is this uh, deconstruction of civilization that occurs, this, this uh, just disintegration, right? That because the foundation of culture is the values of that culture. And when the values, when there are no values or the values have no meaning, you have nothing that holds it together. You have no more cohesion for a culture. And so it disintegrates. And that's what we're experiencing. We're experiencing the disintegration of culture because there is no morality. Like even, even if we say, okay, here's some values, let's argue the merit of the values, like at least have that conversation. But because there's actually no system of values or absolute truth or anything else in most people's belief systems, it's it's amorphous. It's 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 contributing to the disintegration. Like all the New Agers who say, "Well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual." Okay, mm -hmm. those people are basically have no moral code of any kind. They may mm -hmm. think they have values, but a lot of a lot of their beliefs are based on these these false virtues, mm -hmm. right? And and they're because it's based in relativism. There's no way of gauging the merit. They gauging the merit of something is is in and of itself lost right this is the if we talk about the conversation of equity right enforcing equal outcome which is the most ridiculous principle there is this completely rejects a meritocracy it completely rejects that like rather than hire someone based on their skill which is as an employer that's all i'm gonna do mm -hmm. i don't give a fuck what your color race creed or anything else is or sex i don't care if you do the job better than all the other people i've interviewed you get the job mm -hmm. that's a meritocracy mm -hmm. okay a for like equity is forcing outcomes saying well there's unequal outcome here. And we had this discussion when we talked about culture last week, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this idea is completely just abolishing the idea of, of merit, right? And so by abolishing the idea of merit, you're no longer going to engage in the practice of gauging the merit or assessing the merit of something. Because your focus isn't on the merit. Your focus is on, well, do we have the right number of people of this color and the right number of people of this color? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's it's intentional. Like these aren't these this isn't just uh arbitrary. This is very intentional. Like these philosophies, these ideologies have at the basis of their intent to disintegrate. Society yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was just going to ask you. Is is it um, something that you feel was like forced on us or is being played out? Or I was just going to ask you that question. So you're already speaking to it. Where it's yeah, like, it's, I see you talk about not, it. Before. Go ahead. Yeah, it's not necessarily forced. It's just become part of the zeitgeist. It's because mm -hmm. it's been mm -hmm. propagating since the early 20th century. It's everywhere. And it was so intentional, now, basically what I meant to say. It's, it was intentional. 
Yeah, it was very intentional. It was okay. very intentional. It was basically the neo-Marxists out of the uh -huh. school, uh, the Frankfurt School, brought it to America, and it's infiltrated all of our institutions. And it and was this played out somewhere else before? Oh, yeah, I know you said what? Rome or whatever, but was it? Has it been like so that that idea, that theory, relativism, right? Uh huh. It arose from what? Like it was being utilized somewhere else prior to? Uh, well, I would say in modern, in the modern emergence of it, you could see in uh, the postmodern theory oh, okay. um, in philosophies. Okay. So postmodernism is where okay. it really took hold. Mm -hmm. um, and so okay. that's, that's, you could point to that. But again, I'd say the influences come from, you know, uh, earlier and are, mm -hmm. Again, they're they're very intentional in the, uh -huh. in the outcome that they're directing, right? So sure. it's not that like postmodernism in and of itself is bad or wrong. It's just it latched onto something that is intentionally designed to undermine a culture. Got it. Got it. Got it. And it was intentional. So and the people that brought it, because you said Frankfurt, you keep talking about explain that to me like who do you know specifically or what it was or the group or the individuals that oh were, yeah if you uh, yeah if you you could do a google search on the Frankfurt okay. school and it was a bunch okay. of neo-marxists out of germany who oh, germany. basically had to come to america because huh. uh because uh probably because of the rise of nazism wow. um but they because nazis were it's funny they were very anti-communist because they were nationalists um and so you have this, uh, whereas communism is kind of like, oh, you know, it's John Lennon's Imagine, you know what I mean? No borders, no religions, it's all just cool, man. That's communism, right? Or at least Marxism. Uh -huh. And the, uh, the, I should say the Marxist, the Marxist flavor of communism. Um, uh -huh. So that's that, that goes against the idea of a nation state, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the nationalists, which is what the... Um, the Nazis were, were very opposed to it. So they probably got booted or just like saw the writing on the wall and like, dude, we better get the hell out of here. Or we're going to be, you know, on a train bound for somewhere. Um, okay. So, so they, they made it into America. And, okay. and, but again, this is the, the, the actual action steps behind the philosophy on under uh, deliberately undermining a culture and destroying a civilization were spelled out by uh what's his name uh yuri bezmanov he was a former kgb agent who defected to the united states and in the 80s was telling people like look here's what it looks like and if you go through his interview from the 80s and he, he's explaining, step by, he's explaining it from firsthand experience. Like, look, this is how we destroyed uh, societies so that we could implement our communism in other countries, right? He mm -hmm. spells it out step by step. First, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Go listen to that interview. And what you're going to see is, oh, that's everything we're experiencing now. Okay. <laughs> like step uh -huh. by step by step by step, they're following it. It's like a formula. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. And that's good to know. And that's good information to have. Um, and that's something that I'd be interested in because, again, I know you say like it's 
we have to know both, right? The macro, micro, and how it all plays out and all that stuff. And it does play out in politics and, and, and theories and ideas and all that kind of stuff. And I don't, that's the part where I lack the most is like understanding, you know, communism, fascism, which were things that I was like, I wanted to talk about, but obviously not on this podcast. We went to non-ordinary states of consciousness, but to understand like, what do these things mean? How do they play out? Because I don't really understand that. And I, it's something that I get to, <laughs> um, start to look into because, um, you know, I need to understand, like, how do I dialogue? How do I support? How do I, um, you know, I can't like, for instance, if I did, let's say for instance, there was an, uh, an argument and like you said, I'm grounding, I would, I wouldn't be able to even ground any assessment when it comes to political stuff. Like I'd be all, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I have no clue. I don't know what you're talking about. So I can't really argue or, I have no clue. I would be right, like, but, but you yeah. can be in the question of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, especially yeah. if you were on the yeah. outside of two people arguing two opposing positions, because sure. then you could be like, you can ask each of them, what do you mean by that? And what do you mean by yeah. that? Well, could, yeah. you t could you tell me more about this? Could you tell me more about that? Like, yeah. and what's funny is you will actually even though you have no position on it because you have no understanding of it, because of how you're engaging in the argument, you're going to bring further illumination and understanding to all parties, not yeah. only the parties arguing, but anyone witnessing it. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Because you're, yeah. we're, we're, we get rid of the presuppositions, right? Like, let's stop assuming and presuming we know what anyone's talking about. <laughs> I agree. Thank you for saying that. I just put a meme out there like that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's just it. Like, just take that very simple approach. Like, uh -huh. you don't have to necessarily understand the intricacies of the historical significant events and people like I do. That's not important. What's important is to like not just take on and adopt some ideology. It's to question every aspect of it. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. to and to play it out in your mind like well if we do that won't this happen like yeah <laughs> asserting it as a question you know what i mean like it seems to me like this would lead to that you know or huh if we do that wouldn't that be racist <laughs> you know like if people were actually questioning things right now everyone who's claiming to be anti-racist are perpetuating racism Right. right. But nobody's questioning it. They're just going along and regurgitating talking points. But it's yeah. like you it, you should question it. You're like, well, if you do this and you say that, isn't that racist? <laughs> like, to me, that's racist. Like I grew up understanding racism to be when, you know, you judge a race, you know, you judge a an individual based on their race. You make statements about race as a generality right? Like these things were racism, right? And they're trying to redefine it. You know, they're trying, again, their, their arguments are completely incoherent and have no substance. And so what they're doing is perpetuating confusion. So your best approach is to be, get through the confusion, like yes. st start to discern, start to like lay it out on the table, start to break it apart so that you can like, identify like well you're saying this but that doesn't make sense <laughs> you know like and being willing to like as 
assert your opinion, your assessment of like, well, okay, you say this, but the way I see that is racist or the way I see that is bigoted. You know, like right. you're saying this person over here is bigoted, but you're claiming that they have this quality because of their race. So what you're saying is all people of this color are such and so that to me is racism. <laughs> you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like right. you break it down, you pull it apart, you ask the questions as opposed to like just being indoctrinated by an ideology and regurgitating talking points. There's no critical thinking involved in that. And we must be willing to not only argue and take positions, we must be willing to critically think for ourselves and not like because of the worship of self, because of, because people hold self higher than all else, we have a society and a culture that decisions are driven by their desire to be accepted, their desire to be liked, their desire to, to um, be looked at mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. virtuous, regardless of whether those virtues have anything to do with a true set of values. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's people want again they're 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 living this procured this curated image of themselves mm. right and this is the this is the social media phenomenon people are starting to believe in their facebook profile <laughs> you know yeah. and, and that's dangerous you know like mm -hmm. that's not you you may can you may want to convey a certain image of what your life is and who you are to your quote unquote friends but in reality this is not this is not who you are. This is a curated image of who you are. Mm -hmm. And we have an entire generation that's grown up with this. You know, they, they, they don't know life without a social media profile. They don't know life without the curated image of self being what you put out there, you know? And so it's, people are just doubling down on the mythology of themselves. Uh, okay. That kind of makes sense. Now I get it in, in terms of the, the relativism, where it came from, how it derived, how it's playing out, why it's playing out. Um, and, and also you're right in the assumption piece. Um, and I did write something the other day about not making a, I, I had posted something. Um, hey, Linga, I had posted something on my social media um, about, I can't remember. It was something about, you know, crucifying like it was it was to a morality it was like you know it takes courage to stand up for what you feel is right whatever I don't remember how exactly how I worded it but I said you know Jesus got crucified for it right because he went against the masses or whatever and then I'm like who are you crucifying and it was a question but then everybody made an assumption about what it meant and it was kind of funny to see that happen I was like wow it was a question some guy said well what are you comparing to there and now I said, that wasn't a comparison. I made a statement and asked a question. I wasn't trying to compare anything. I made a statement and then I right. asked a question. And so he didn't, he had nowhere to go because I was like, I'm not comparing anything to anything. I'm just making a statement. And then somebody went off on, of course, the, the Roe versus Wade, whatever thing. And I said, nowhere in that entire sentence that I mentioned anything about Roe versus Wade, abortion or anything like that I said so obviously there's some triggers for you and that's kind of what I put as a friend of mine I said you're still triggered by that narrative obviously or that conversation because that wasn't even my mindset but it was an assumption and I told him like 
rather than assume, why don't you ask questions? Like ask me and I'll let you know. But but then it's like these assumptions that are made based on their own, I guess what's going on in their own mind or their worldview or what's happening in their life or what they think you might be trying to articulate, but it's just a question. You know what I mean? And so right. I think that's true. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You're, I, you're, you're right on. That's that mm -hmm. people project mm -hmm. meaning on it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the problem that a lot of us that I, I'm not even say a lot of us, I'll say in general, that is plaguing society is mm -hmm. that we assume and presume. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so easy because people also, because their highest concern, right, mm -hmm. is being liked, being accepted and being right. Mm -hmm. Um, they they look at okay well what's the popular opinion to have mm -hmm. and again perceptually because it may not actually be the popular opinion it may be the quote unquote popular opinion being perpetuated by a narrative by the media right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and so they're like oh well that's the way to talk about this that's the way to think about this that's the way that's the position to hold on this well then that's my position mm -hmm. and then they're inundated with the talking points, right? So again, mm -hmm. they don't they don't bring thinking to the table on anything. They just have to remember the talking points and spit those out. When, that sounds like when, a politician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and because and because people are so invested in their curated image of themselves, that's what they are. They're politicians for their image, for the oh. mythology of themselves. Oh my God. Now I'm I'm getting it. See, this is good. This is always good because yeah, that's how it's funny because again, I don't know, like I said, don't know politics. I do know a little when doing tobacco prevention work, right? And just seeing these um, politicians and literally they'll be like, just give me my talking points. Then they would like go online and read a few articles. And I, for me, was eye opening. I mean, this was, I was already older. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my God, these are the people that are running our state. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like flabbergasted. I was like, oh my God, this person literally went online, read an article that it, who knows where the article came from, gave a bunch of lies. I just straight out said stuff that wasn't even factual. And then said these talking points and that was it. And I was like, I was like, wait, what? And I, and then, okay. Then for me sitting there, because, you know, I'm, I was a, a director of, of a program. And so I'm sitting there looking at like my face is saying it all. I'm looking, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I'm told by this other person, like, Natalie, you got to watch your, your face. And I go, why? Like these, I wanted to get up and say, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> and I don't know if I'd have got in trouble for that, but I'm just, I mean, it was, I was like, wow, like, this is how it works. This is how politics works. It's just, like you said, regurgitate. And then it is true because they'd be like, okay, everybody, we're going to the legislature. And then it would be these kids and here's your talking points. And then they would just regurgitate talking points. I don't even know if they knew why they were saying those talking points. I just think they were just saying them. Yeah, wow. No, they were part of this. <clears throat> they were just part of the sales pitch. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. um, so yeah, it's, it, there's not, there's very little of substance in, oh, in the yeah. mainstream narrative in general, wow. whether you're talking about from politicians, I whether know. it's celebrities, it, it's, there's very little substance there. Oh my God, Brandon, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and nothing. 
we're gonna be we're just gonna be <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i'm always like the doer let's do something um but no i think it's very helpful and it's very and i'm very thankful because i i'm just like i don't know how to converse and i think you said it right ask questions and i think um you know if someone gets into the dialogue of something rather than you know be triggered and think about well this is how i see it rather than that just be like why do you see it that way what's making you say that what do you right. what is your belief why do you believe what what position are you taking and all these questions that right. and be know, willing to judge it on your own values first of all you got to come up and you know with a clear idea of at least an initial <laughs> set of values because they may evolve because you may because you, you're you you must be able to judge the merit of something based on your values engage it as you know within within the scope of your values is this good is this bad is this right is this wrong um, that's an important thing to be able to do. And you may, over time, your values may change. You may say, yeah, well, I was holding this as a value, but like it's been challenged and in people challenging it, I kind of see, uh, I, I see through mm -hmm. and now I have a, a better way of, a, of, I have a better value, you know, mm -hmm. to replace it with, or mm -hmm. I can let go of this one. So it's, it's it's something that you must be willing to do because when you're questioning and and the answers come what how are you gauging the merit how are you yeah. assessing the merit of mm -hmm. of the answer you know like you have to have a set of values there where it's mm -hmm. like oh yeah that sounds like a really bad idea <laughs> you know like and again that's an assessment but you have something you're measuring it on you're Absolutely. you know you're like well here i i value individual liberty and freedom and mm -hmm. what you're saying goes against that you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah so mm -hmm. i think it's bad i think that's a bad idea yeah you know? <laughs> uh, so you have to have some set of values you know in order to make those assessments and judgments yep okay so here's the big takeaway people what are your values what are your morals <laughs> How are you grounding those? How are you assessing? No, I'm just joking. But but seriously, it, it is true. What are your values? What are your morals? Um, and and then also understanding they are subjective, like you said, and also understanding that they are open for argument, but argument doesn't have to be um arguing in the way that I think most people do. So it's understanding why you're standing in that, um, uh, why you take that stand in that particular, you know, whatever dialogue or conversation or argument and how you're gonna ground your assessments, which I think, okay, I go back to this because it's really good and it's an eye opener for me because, and I think for people in general, and they should understand this is, you know, grounding your assessments, what's, what's fact, what's story, all of those things that you taught me have helped me tremendously with not just with myself, but with my relationships with people just in general, because I'm able to like say, okay, what is fact for me? What is not fact? Why am I taking that personally? I get to like point the question back at myself and then kind of say, okay, why am I taking this personally? Is it a reason to take personally? Do I want to set a boundary around this person because I feel that I'm disrespected? It's not something that I'm going to do, but understanding that, and I think that those are maybe the the tools 
that um, people can use. I think they're valuable. And I honestly, Brandon, like all the time, I use your work all the time for sure. Um, and I constantly tell people like, and I used to be like, come on, Brandon, let's do something together. <laughs> because, because I think it's valuable information. And I think that it, it would help, you know, and it also meets people where they're at, which is, is, you know, instead of doing these big, fancy, like you said, dialogues and narratives, meeting people where they're at so that they can even start to untangle um, what did you call it? Um, um, possession or possessed ideological possession. Uh, it, it, yeah, ideological possession, where they can at least start to question and assess and understand why they're thinking this way. Why? Why right. do they? Yeah, I think it's important. Really, really important. Um, yeah. So thank you. It's been honestly, it's. I don't think that most people understand that a lot of. Um, my ideas as well, which I would say uh, do come from what Brandon says is not because I don't just follow anybody. This is another thing that I, I like to tell people. Don't just follow anybody. Like, trust me, I have questioned Brandon. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I don't know. I've put you through the ringer. I'm surprised you still talk to me. <laughs> I'm sure I've been a challenge for you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, well, I, I no, I don't look at it. As, I mean, of course, every relationship has an element of challenge <laughs> in it, but yeah. I look at it as like I recognize that everyone's on their own path and that everyone's <laughs> in a in at a different place in their path. Like, I, I mean, I do remember, and I, and of course, I can't help but have judgments on that. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. I set I set them aside for for the benefit of the relationship itself, right? So like, yeah. I remember, you know, just a couple of years ago, um, you know, some of the ideas you had and were spitting out and I was like, uh, you know, to myself, I'm like, oh, I remember when I had those ideas. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, yeah. I remember when I, when I thought that and I believed that and I, and cause I had read those books too. Uh -huh, you know? uh -huh, I, uh -huh. I had just gotten to the books, you know, 20 years before you did. So it was, sure. but I, you know, I, rather than make you wrong about it, what I would do is question you about it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Like, just kind of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this philosophy bare. I'm going to expose it and see if it's something you're going to stick with, which is fine. Mm -hmm. That's your path. Or if it's something that you're going to grow out of, you know, mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I constantly grow like that. And that's for me is I'm open to kind of changing what's and taking out what doesn't make sense anymore and it is it's like an, an it's an evolving thing and that's why I'm never on the same path and I tell people this you know I you it, life is about change and transformation we're never gonna if you're just stuck in one thing well you're stuck like you had talked about it earlier just being stuck in the box or whatever it's like I'm looking at things from a different perspective I'm hearing you know I'm not taking everything on and I'm saying how does that play out what does that look like because I pick apart everything as well and I'm like, mm, I don't think this is right. I, this is, I don't see it that way. Like young is really huge. Right. Um, and of course in, in my program, you yeah, he just, I, I appreciate the work that he did. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with every single thing that he says, because I'm like, well, I don't see it that way specific. And here's why, you know, and I do challenge, like in my classes, I do challenge, I do say how I feel. 
And not a lot of the students do, well, no, none of the students do it except for me. I'm constantly, well, you know, this is, I don't see it that way. This is what I think. And then I call it out for what it is. And my professors are like, that's awesome. I'm glad that you saw that. Now here's another book that you can read that kind of talks to that point that you're thinking about. So it is, it is an evolving thing and you're absolutely right. And the reason why I use a lot of the information that you've given me and why I followed you and why I listen to what you have to say is because you always have this rationale behind it, but you always have um, at least some grounding as to why you think the way you think. It's not just like willy nilly, somebody else said it. You're like, right. I've it apart. Here's what it is. And it, then I'm like, okay, that makes sense. It makes sense to me. So right. yeah, yeah, there's I, no, unfortunately, there's not one single philosophy out there that I can point to that isn't in some way, shape or form in contradiction to my own, you know, right. not, not completely necessarily. Um, but like, so there is no ideological basis <laughs> for my, yeah. for my personal philosophy, uh, uh, uh. um, because they all kind of like, there's, I recognize and I identify problems with everyone's philosophy and so mm -hmm. when i when when forming my own philosophy i get rid of that stuff i'm like yeah that doesn't work yeah. <laughs> well, that doesn't make sense right. like right. so i just <laughs> kind of pick and choose and kind of stitch together my own amalgam of yeah. of philosophical principles you yes. know and so it's yep. it's something yep. that's very much my own but it, yep. like i said it's also dynamic it shifts yep. and changes and moves yep. with time which I love. This is, it's awesome. So good job. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> good for you, Brandon. You did it. <laughs> You're like, thanks, Natalie. <laughs> I don't need your congratulations. No. Um, but no, it's, and that's kind of, and that's exactly why I have you on here because it's like, yeah, it's, I tell people like understanding that, right. It's like me. It's like you said, I've evolved. I've come further. Like, even with the transformational language, all that kind of stuff, it's given me an opportunity to to at least explain my experience of the world and then explain why I see it a little bit different than everybody else and then how I see it different and why. And then I'm able to construct it in a way that makes sense for me. Um, and then also, you know, because it does no harm, it's not here to harm, but to just understand. And then it's like, it's like, oh, wonderful. I have this, like you said, my philosophy, but I always tell people, this is not, that's not what Spirit and Coffee is about. It's not about projecting my, what I have to say onto you. It's about people questioning their own and, and understanding their own. And, and like you said, you have your philosophy, you're not going to go publish it, but you know it and you, and you've, you've done enough of picking apart everything else to say, yeah, this is what works. And I guarantee, right, Brandon, if you come to this point in your life where you're doing this, you're you're not gonna do harm. Like that's how I see it. Like if individuals operated like that, where they were constantly questioning, they're not. They're, I feel like they're gonna come to a point of like peace and harmony, tranquility, love, balance. I at least that's what I believe. That when people start to question themselves and learn to understand their own experience of the world they're not going to be out there shooting people. Like they're not going to be harming people. What do you, oh, I yeah. mean, I mean, in reality, the, the people out there doing that. And again, this, this is a, a, a product 
of our mm -hmm. current civilization and culture is a just a mass psychosis, right? There's mm -hmm. just mental illness is running rampant. And the culture of psychology is now taking the approach of like, oh, we're just not going to identify mental illness, which is problematic. Um, it leads to many problems. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to like actually dealing with this mass psychosis in a way that's constructive and can bring people, elevate them out of it, we're just medicating, right? Mm -hmm. We're just putting people on drugs and that's not, that's not treating the actual problem. The, the actual problem in most cases stems from a mindset mm -hmm. and a drug isn't going to change your mindset, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's, what, that's what we have. We have a culture where we have a, a, a high instance of mental illness. Um, we're not approaching the true causes of it, which is mm -hmm. the mindset and belief systems and and the meaning people attribute to situations, circumstances, conditions, um, we're, we're just medicating it, right? And that, that doesn't address the root cause. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, uh, I don't think necessarily someone who's, who's experiencing mass psychosis or ex an experiencer of the mass psychosis or some other mental illness is necessarily going to be enlightened, especially if they're medicated by, you know, something you may say on your podcast or something, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? They're, mm -hmm. for the most part, they're kind of cut off from, mm -hmm. uh, from the, you know, the more medicated you are, the, the more cut off from your higher faculties of consciousness mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you start to mm -hmm. cut people off from that yeah. higher consciousness. And it's, they're just, they are, they have become the ideal of the mechanistic materialist, which is a machine, you know, mm -hmm. they, 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 they don't demonstrate the, what makes humans human, you know, they don't demonstrate that spirit, that, that, uh, those emotions, you know, I, I mean, a, a lot of these medications completely cut you off from, yeah. you know, from your emotions and things like that. So it's kind of a scary thing. Um, but I think, again, everyone's on their own individual journey. And so I think people will have an experience, you know, as I think one of the biggest detriments is people medicating themselves out of the abyss of the mm -hmm. dark night of the yeah. soul. Sure. You know, they, sure. we do all we can to avoid it. And that mm -hmm. I think is more, is very detrimental and probably a big, uh, contributor to the mental mm -hmm. illness that we see mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. us i agree so cutting off and i think we have like 30 seconds left or something like that but okay. um okay. good let's, awesome. let's 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 actually intentionally end this and give a uh a, an outro Thank okay you, natalie for everything it was awesome <laughs> we'll see brandon next week yes 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 Most likely. okay uh, okay yeah. we'll say